You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. This is the Classic Auto Mall Podcast. Broadcast from the studios inside the Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania. Yes, the Classic Auto Mall is a real mall. Just one hour west of Philadelphia at Pennsylvania Turnpike Exit 298. Featuring nearly 1,000 classic, vintage, and barn find vehicles for sale under one climate-controlled roof. Now, here's your host, Classic Auto Mall President and the man with all the toys, Stuart Howden. That cracks me up every time. I love that intro. I think that's a fantastic intro. Thank you, JR. What a wonderful job you did with that. It's good to be back. Thanks to the Pat Travers Band for our wonderful theme music and go see them in concert. Show number 114. And uh, hard to believe that we've been doing this for that many weeks. It seems like. Only 112 or 11 (laughs) or something like that. That's right. Uh, But anyway, thanks to everybody who listens and uh, participates and sends us emails. Podcast at ClassicAutomall.com if you got a question or a complaint or have anything to say to us whatsoever, please. Or if we get something wrong, we'd we'd like to hear if we get it wrong. Because I do know that we do make mistakes. Almost never, but but if we do, I'm sure there's an audience out there. Every once... In a while. Yeah, that podcast you person know. you see in the Allstate commercials. There's a podcast for that. People who make mistakes in podcasts. I like that. Didn't you? I, I wanted you to pick up on the, that I just popped my tea though when I said twice. That's okay. Yeah, is that okay? Can you fix that in the mix? Yeah, we can. We'll fix it in post. <laughs> Good to know. Hey, uh, great week. Consignments coming in like crazy. We are at, drum roll please. Yes. 1,033 cars. Wow. In, in inventory as of this. I think you have a drum roll there. I do. Matter of fact, <laughs> do you have, have a drum, drum roll? roll? Mm-hmm. There it is. Ta-da! I don't use these things in the technology. Daggummit. Yeah. Uh, anyway, 1,033 cars in inventory. That's obviously a record. Mm-hmm. Uh, October ended up 146, which was a record for a single month. November is shaping up to be equally as, as large. So I pulled in this morning and there were uh, three old Fords out there. Right. Isn't that like that song? Three old Fords <laughs> in the parking lot. Please don't sing anymore. We got a club. No. There's a club here today, actually. They're not consigning their cars yet. Oh, yet. Yeah, yet. yet. But they may. Totally. We hope they will. So where may you ask? Did cars go? When they, got, when they got sold. Tell us. Last week, you mean? Please do it. Okay. Tell us. Let us. Let me tell you. How about... Media, Pennsylvania, so far away. It's like you could drive there. You could drive there, absolutely. <laughs> Middletown, New Jersey, Lidditz, Pennsylvania, Collegeville, Pennsylvania, Arlington, Texas, Morganton, North Carolina, Buffalo, Wyoming, Paramus, New Jersey, Tacoma, Washington, Kingston, Tennessee, wow. Hamburg, Pennsylvania, Strasburg, Virginia, Culver City, California, hey. Mechanicsburg, Pennsylvania, Staten Island, New York, Peru, Indiana, Westminster, Maryland, and Southampton, Pennsylvania. So. Five, six, How many seven, different eight, states? nine, ten, eleven, twelve states. That is amazing. Great. All over the all over the country. I tell people they go all over the world, all over the country. Yeah, but not as many foreign sales. Not today, for not whatever this week. reason. But you never know. It's hard to predict what will be next and where it will go, and where you know if a guy just walks in off the street and buys something mm-hmm. and local or even not. We had a guy in the other day who was from Southern California who had heard about us and he was here on business and stopped in. 
and lo and behold, bought a car. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what that was that just slammed the background. Something. <laughs> I got to put the sign up. Don't come in this room. <laughs> don't come in this room. another hour. Yeah, well, you know, we, we're not anti-people. We're just anti-people for one hour. <laughs> just don't in come one in one room. In one room. Anti-noise. <laughs> Anti-noise yep. is where we should be. So some of the new inventory that we've gotten in recently, we didn't, we were to talk about last week, but we, we got further along than we were supposed mm-hmm. to. So anyway, a 1970 Fiat 500L coupe. Have you seen this little Fiat? I, I have got two Fiats in. Yes, we do. Recently. Now they're two exactly opposite of one another. One's a 19 or a 2016 Topolino right. coupe. I'm sure I pronounced that right. And the other is a 1970 Fiat 500L. And the 70 Fiat 500L is a original type car. Mm-hmm. The Topolino has a 549 <laughs> horsepower, 355 cubic inch supercharged V8. And the widest rear tires ever in the, in the building. In the history of ever. I've looked, I've checked, and they, it is the widest. Did you get the measuring tape out? I, check I, them exactly. My hand, I did my hand, like oh, a horse, yeah. you know? You know, that's an answer. Is that right? So they say. This I mean, is, yeah. I mean, unless you're double jointed. He's, then, he's then. doing knuckles for those not, not watching. <laughs> yeah, are we not filming? We are. Well, okay, we are. So see, I'm like, what, mm. what well, sometimes there? the car specialists will bring customers to to the the truck room behind the studio, and, right. and you'll hear slamming and stuff like that. But. And guess what? We're okay with that because we're in the business to sell cars, right? That's that's, that's kind of our core business. And then this is kind of my little sideline business before pleasure <laughs> to distract me for an hour yes. or so. I think my wife loves this hour of everything. <laughs> She's like, get him out of the office. She told me the other day. She said. Please just stop talking for a minute. <laughs> but and I notice you do have your phone facing you just in case a call comes in yeah, mid-show. It could be something important. I have it on silent, I think. Yep. Um, so anyway, I forgot to do that the other night when we went to the theater in Reading, Pennsylvania, mm-hmm. to see The Last Waltz. It was the 45th anniversary of The Last Waltz, which was the band, the band's final concert at Winterland mm-hmm. uh, in uh, San Francisco. Right. And they had a 45th anniversary. And they had filmed it Thanksgiving 1978, and it was amazing. Bob Dylan and Neil Young and all these great artists, and this was a real special deal, and they did it. And they didn't obviously promote it very well because it was me and Kathy and my son Garrett and two other people. Is that right? In the whole theater. Wow. So it seemed, although they made up for it in the price of the popcorn and the, and the little thing of wine that they sold. <laughs> they they actually yeah. made a, turned a profit I think that they night. turned a profit that night with five people because the popcorn was $37. Oh. But it was really good popcorn. Mm, better be. It, yeah. And uh, so anyway, Bill Graham presented that. You had a little story about Bill Graham we won't get into right, right. now. But um, um, anyway. Um, it was a lot of fun, and uh, a couple of fun events that we've done lately. I don't think we talked about the Simeon mm-hmm. uh, that we did. with uh, They did the uh, Spirit of Competition Award to Scott Pruitt this mm-hmm. year. Ten-time uh, class winner at Daytona 24, and a five-time overall winner at the Daytona 24. Right. Which means he has 15 Ro- Rolex Daytonas. Wow. <laughs> yeah. Nice. One of them with a meteorite face. So okay, anyway. Whatever that is. Yeah. <laughs> It's a meteorite. Okay. It's actually a meteorite that they really, yeah, a real live, live. Yeah, it's an inanimate object. They found a meteorite alive. I don't. Uh, no, they're like coral. It's a rock. Right. <laughs> Rocks can't be alive. <laughs> okay, good to know that. Anyway, um, how about that? Fifteen times a winner at mm-hmm. uh, Daytona. That's pretty cool. And now he's got a vineyard out in southern or not in, in northern California. Mm-hmm. And apparently does really, really well with it. So anyway, other new inventory. How about the 74 Plymouth Cuda 360 
hardtop. Uh, this is one that was kind of the last uh, hurrah for anything that was remotely muscle car-ish. I would imagine that the horsepower was pretty mild on a 360 back in 74. Uh, but it's a really an amazing restoration. Uh, burnished red metallic paint, uh, numbers matching 360 cubic inch V8, numbers matching 427 or 727A automatic, uh, rally gauges, rust-free, showroom interior, almost perfect paint as we like to say. Uh, for those interested, there's a short video of a test drive of that car oh. on YouTube, so oh. go check that out. Why isn't that? Yeah, that was our first uh, crack at a test drive, and it, nice. it was a great car. Great hey, it's car. 245 horsepower they had back in the day, so, mm. and that was re- replacing the 340, uh, but it was the end of the kind of the end of the road for those type of cars, and you know, arguably so. And of course, we all thought at the time. That was it. There's going to be no more cool cars coming down the road. When we all get to the point where we can, A, have a car, because in 74, I was only 12. Mm -hmm. Uh, If, A, we can have a car, and, B, we can afford a car, then it'll all be gone. It'll be just little, you know, Chevettes with four cylinders, and that'll be everything. And luckily, that didn't happen. Mm -hmm. Luckily, it did happen for a while. Right. We went through that era, and then things came back, and all of a sudden, we had some cool cars again. And still, even to this day, we have amazingly cool cars. And I still don't understand, with our regulatory craziness, that we have cars that have top speeds of 200 miles an hour that are even allowed on the road. And and listen, I'm not pushing for that because I love the fact that we have that, and I want to keep that. Mm -hmm. Because sometimes you just need to get up that off-ramp really quick. (laughs) So it's important to have that. But it's amazing that we do with all the regulations. I mean, it's amazing that they still sell cigarettes. Right, right. Well, there are efforts to to end all that stuff, but we're going to fight it to the end. I'm just glad that I quit uh, seven years ago. So if they do ban the damn things, then I won't have to freak out about it. Imagine how much money you save by quitting. (laughs) I know those things are expensive. My wife did the math, and it was not pretty. It was was a lot of money. Mm -hmm. Other new inventory, uh, 65 Pontiac GTO hardtop coupe, Linden green and cameo white over white. This is a really interesting car. Uh, It's that that misty light green color, uh, which probably wasn't the most popular color for a GTO back in the day, mm-hmm. but it's really stunning. It really, um, it, and it lends itself well to that car. And also we have a 67 Camaro, uh, that's in almost that same color. Exactly. Uh, and it's, it's, it's so unusual that it's, that it's pretty in an mm-hmm. unusual way, if that makes sense. But, uh, this one's got the correct M20 Muncie a manual transmission, 389 cubic inch V8, PH, PHS documentation. Uh, ported heads, tri-power, frame-off restoration as well. It's really stunning. And PHS is not the Pennsylvania Horticulture Society. It's actually the Pontiac <laughs> Historical <laughs> Society. <laughs> which just tells to, just you, to be clear. Which tells you what a car was born with, not what it has now. Mm-hmm. That's the mistake that everybody, like I said, I said, is that uh, original motor and transmission? He goes, yeah, it's got the PHS docks. I mm-hmm. said, wait a minute. You're saying because it has the PHS docks, that means it's the original motor and transmission? He goes, yeah. I go, no. It means that that was what was born with it. What's in it now, we'll have to double check and see. Sure. Turns out that it was. Oh, lucky for him. Right. But I think there's a lot of people who who are falsely thinking that because it has that kind of documentation, that that actually means that that's what's in the car. And no different than a Marty report mm-hmm. uh, for the Mustang. So anyway, uh, other new inventory, the 04 Dodge Ram SRT10 Viper pickup. Yeah. This thing is flame red over charcoal black. Uh, three owners from new 9,600 original miles. That's probably four sets of tires. <laughs> you De- depending on how it's driven. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, well, Re- rear tires. 8.3 liter V10, Tremec T56 manual tranny, 
Uh, it's light and it's got a Dana 80 rear end. Mm-hmm. So that's kind of heavy duty. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was introduced, uh, the Ram SRT was introduced in, uh, 2003, went into production in 2004. And these things, they're screamers. Well, think about a pickup truck. That bed in the back is so light mm-hmm. that there, you know, there's no weight in the rear. So I'm sure you can smoke the tires from here to. Oh, yeah. Well, that's the problem with those. There's there's so much power that it's hard to to maintain traction, which is why we t- typhoon and cyclone owners are faster than quicker than than SR. This is it's all wheel drive. It's all wheel drive. But this is a, this is an impressive truck, beautiful truck. And this is what this one is a stick. Right. And we have another one that is a quad. I did a feature, a video feature mm-hmm. of both of them, so kind of kind of side by side. That's a quad cab automatic. Right. This is a a single cab. Stick, which is the, I think the more desirable. Well, I, I would think so. Although, you know, that's the uh, millennial anti yeah, right. device, as I like <laughs> to say. But, uh, but anyway, I've never said that before, have I? Uh, but how about that Viper V10 engine? Will we ever see a V10 engine again? No, hmm. it will never. I don't, I mean, I can't. Not in a truck, that's not, for sure. Yeah. Well, I mean, how are, you know, you just wonder a 3500 Chevy Dually. We talked about how are they ever going to, you know, continue mm-hmm. with those? But anyway, that's a whole nother story. When we return, we have an actual in studio game guest this week. We had one last week. Yeah, too. Jonathan (laughs) Stein is going to join us, uh, automotive writer and a historian and all-around car guy. When we return to the Classic Automall podcast, he'll be here with us. See you in a minute. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Automall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. When it comes to car magazines, are you tired of reading about mega-dollar collector cars you can't afford, or endless reporting on auctions and how-to tech stories that don't interest you? Then Crankshaft is the car magazine for you. Crankshaft is a 144-page softcover quarterly filled with all sorts of fascinating stories, the type of car features you won't find anywhere else. It features American and foreign cars, pre- and post-war era cars of distinction including sports cars, muscle cars, and regular family sedans too. To discover what many car enthusiasts are saying is the best car magazine ever published, you can purchase either a single copy for $12.95 plus $3 postage, or a one-year subscription, four issues, for $59.95. To order your copy, go to www.crankshaftmagazine.com. That's www.crankshaftmagazine.com. What do doctors talk about in doctors' lounges around the country? Find out on the Doctors' Lounge Show, every Thursday at 8 a.m., on America's Web Radio. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We're back with the Classic Automall podcast from the Classic Automall Studios at the Classic Automall place in the world at Morgantown, Pennsylvania, where the casino is too, and 1,033 cars and all these other crazy things we got going on. And we have a guest in the studio today. Mr. Jonathan Stein, my new friend, who we should have recorded our conversation when we were sitting in my office last week, True. because that was probably the best it'll ever get, right? Jonathan is a automotive historian and automotive writer and automotive car guy and has written and done and been and seen and Concord judge and all the different things. Man, it's a lot to keep up with these days. Do you have to say no to doing events? Any, I mean, is it just too many anymore? Oh, I do say no. I I skipped uh, Chattanooga this year because 
enough was enough. Right. <laughs> yeah. Even though Chattanooga is a great event, it's so wonderful. is every event. I love They're all great. Chattanooga. What? I don't know that I can find fault in many events that I've been to. Yeah, you can say operationally they made it, you know, needed to be a little bit better or they could do this a little bit better. But overall, I see great and wonderful people. I see great and wonderful cars. And it's usually in a great and wonderful city. So how do, how do you go wrong with that? It's hard. Yeah. Uh, every one of them has something worth uh, uh, worth enjoying and celebrating. Mm-hmm. Well, and I think that that, that what you uh, what you find at these events is, of course, there are places that you want to be because uh, you know that's how you draw crowds to come to these events and pay admission and all that. I mean, a, a Concord event for a general admission day ticket is probably north of a hundred dollars just about everywhere you go. Wouldn't you guess? Certainly in the uh, bigger regional and and indeed with the uh, national. Right, right. Uh, yeah, if you look at like Pebble Beach, I don't even know what a, uh, a general admission ticket to Pebble Beach is, but it's probably not cheap. It's multi-hundreds of dollars. Would, it keeps changing because they want to keep the crowds down, but it's not working. <laughs> Listen, isn't it funny how you think that you can raise the price and something will change and it doesn't? It, it gets more popular because then... What does it become? It becomes more desirable. Oh, well, it must be good because it's more expensive. It's my old analogy about the rake. You go to the Walmart or whatever you go to, there's a $5 rake and a $10 rake and a $15 rake. Which rake do you buy? The most expensive, probably. Yeah, of course you do, because it's the best. But tools. We're, we play with cars. We play with tools. So if it's a tool, we want the most expensive. Absolutely, because if you buy the cheap one, it's going to break, and you're going to say, I knew this was going to happen. And so you have to buy the most expensive one. Then if it breaks, then you have more fuel to be mad at the store and can go in. If you go in there on a $5 rake, then they're going to say, well, get out. You just paid $5 for it. What did you expect? It may not even last till you get home. Well, you know, uh, in the old days, you take a crack, craftsman ratchet, use it as a hammer, and they'd replace it. Yeah. <laughs> you know, uh, uh, my wife, not my current wife, my previous, one of my previous wives, wife number 11, point, <laughs> whatever, uh, thought that a butter knife was a screwdriver. And so all of our butter knives had a little crook at the end of them where she would try to unscrew a, a nut with a, a butter knife. So yeah. that was that was their tool and her tool. So. Uh, anyway, Jonathan, uh, thanks for joining us today. Uh, man, your automotive resume is quite impressive. I mean, started a Haggerty magazine, um, have written for just about every publication there is known to man, uh, in the automotive world. What got you? Every, I know, you know, I, people ask the question all the time of what got you interested in cars. That's usually a no-brainer. It's either the Hot Wheels or the cool kid down the street or something happened. But what got you into saying, ooh, maybe I can make a career of this? Well, I was misguided in college. That, that was my goal. <laughs> and I got out of school, and I had a few interviews. But just as I think I'm in the door, the head of PR at Fiat gets fired and and. It ends there. Right. So, it, everything changes. So I took a, uh, I took writing jobs, mm-hmm. uh, at various, uh, companies or magazines. And, uh, one day out of the blue, I get a call from Automobile Quarterly. Uh, I had submitted a resume to Pennsylvania, but not to that company. Right. Apparently someone knew someone and passed it off. Wow. And this Lucky call you. comes out of the blue and I flew from Connecticut where I lived down to, uh, uh, Reading, and before long, I was offered a job uh, 
big pay cut. <laughs> Why, of course. Uh, and eventually my wife took a pay cut to come down, but it was cheaper here. A right, lot cheaper right. than Canada. So, so was it Scott Brown who started? That was Scott Bailey. Bailey, Bailey. He didn't sorry. own it by then. Right, gotcha. Uh, it was owned by a company called Cookstown Publishing. And see, I didn't, I, I knew Jerry Durnell when he took it over years later. I had, I hadn't either thought of it or realized the connection between Redding and Cookstown and Automobile Quarterly. So when Bailey bought it, did he move it from this area to somewhere else? Or? Well, see, Bailey was the founder. Right. And he uh, started in New York, then moved the offices to Princeton. Right. Then I think it was CBS Publications bought them and moved them to California, sold the Diamantis, and then sold to the Kutztown Publishing people. And it moved back here. Yeah, in about 80... Uh, six or something. And did he take, did Bailey take it back over again? No, no. Bailey, he once done. he was, once he was gone in the early eighties, he, he sold out and moved to England. Sure. So, I mean, for those of you who aren't aware, Automobile Quarterly was a magazine, but it really was more than a magazine. It was a four times a year publication, hardbound, uh, in, uh, landscape orientation. And they created, I don't know, how many, how many, Volumes did they do something? Well, when I left, we just hit 41 or something. Right. And uh, uh, I sort of lost track. Right. Well, I think that everybody wants to have the collection of the Automobile Quarterly in their library, even though probably most of the information I would bet is online. But I bet you could still find information in Automobile Quarterly that you couldn't find on the Internet, right? Probably. You know. I mean, what was the Internet? Well... <laughs> Right, exactly. Yeah, the what? The the World Wide Web? I don't know what that is, you know. I mean, think about that. When Automobile Quarterly started back in, what, in the 50s? 62. 62, my good year. Um, and, you know, went on until about 2014, maybe or so. Somewhere. Maybe a little later. Maybe 16, yeah. Somewhere in there. And they Jerry just- Durnell, who had owned it and moved it to Indiana, passed, and his son ran it for a, a little while. But it was... Kind of on a downward spiral, a spiral, as you would expect. I mean, I'm not sure that they were salvageable no matter what. Um, I was asked by several groups of people as an, you know, what do you know from the inside? Right. Uh, what's it worth? And I, I felt the time had passed because people don't want publications that have lots of different things in it. Right. They want, they want, shoebox Ford, or they want... Something specific. Or they want Model A's. Mm-hmm. Yeah, everyone becomes so hyper-focused. Right, right. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it was an amazing publication back in the day because pre-internet, you read about stuff that you'd never heard of. People's private collections of cars. Um, you would see stories about cars that maybe you'd vaguely heard about but never knew much about. Uh, there was a lot of great information in there, and their library was supposedly spectacular. It was really a great library. When I first started as a uh, associate editor, every day at lunch, I would pick another volume off the shelf. Right. And... The reason I'm able to judge so many places is that I can do a lot of different classes because of the the general education mm-hmm. I got at AQ. Right. To this day, I, I credit that with a lot of my success. Sure, sure. Yeah, I mean, the knowledge that you have to be a Concord judge is pretty extraordinary. I mean, you listen, there are a lot of guys who just kind of wing it and just kind of sit in the back of the pack and they go along and agree with everybody who's the expert. And that's how they become experts because they learn by doing uh, what you have to do. But you got to have the one guy 
who really knows that that is not the right bolt for that Duesenberg, right? Pretty much. Yeah. And a lot of times it's not, is that a, the correct bolt for Duesenberg or is that period correct? Right, right. Because you can't know the nuts and bolts and okay. hinges for every car. Right. And you have to, I'm sure that there is some guesswork in it that, that it's inevitable. You can't, not everybody knows everything about every car, right? I mean, it's it's impossible to know that. Well. Uh, where the concours really have to do their homework, particularly the top ones like Pebble Beach, um, they'll get one person who's an authority, even if they've never judged before and, mm-hmm. and they're not a judge, and pair them with some really experienced judges. And that happened to me at Pebble Beach with the Voisin class. Right. Uh, two guys from French were coming over, and I had I had judged some Voisins. I'd seen right. a few. Right. Uh, but... I became the, the team leader because I know the procedures right. and I have a clue. And then we had our experts mm-hmm. and it's been the other way around. I was recently uh, the authority on a particular British car class to other people who exper- experienced judges whom I knew filled out the class. Right. And what happens if they get it wrong? I mean, is that does that happen? Does best of show turn? I mean, has there ever been controversy in any car? We won't say specifically, but but for getting a car wrong that maybe shouldn't have won because it happens. Yeah, I mean, I imagine it doesn't happen very often because there's a lot of checks and balances. No, no. There's now this uh, uh, chief judges association, and um, they spread the word if one of them catches something out even after the fact Mm -hmm. they will spread the word sure and we've heard stories of cars that uh, were kind of uh put on the list if you will and all the guys knew about that you know were not correct in certain aspects or they couldn't prove their provenance or you know there was something about them that that didn't lend themselves to winning a best in show or best in class or whatever it was so um you got that as well but there's nothing like giving a car a major award to bring out the all the squirrels, some of which might be telling the truth. Right. Well, listen, we get it all the time. I mean, a guy admonished me the other day on online, and he said, a sedan is a four-door car. And I said, no, that's incorrect. You can have a two-door sedan and a four-door sedan. The sedan is the post in between the front and rear window, not the fact that it's four doors. And the guy goes, he was admonishing me and telling me how wrong I was. And he was like, I never knew that. I'm like, well, maybe had you led with that. (laughs) Right? Well, that's the key. When we don't know something, when we're judging, the best thing to say is, can you tell me about that switch? Right. Yeah. Do you know anything about that particular thing, or or did that belong here, or how did that come to be? And a lot of the guys know, right? Well, my least favorite judge in the world will say, that's wrong. Right. <laughs> and if there's a factory photo or a show stand photo, he'll still discount that. Right. Because he knows. Right. And... You always find things you don't know. Sure. Listen, we're all, I mean, we're all human. We don't know everything about everything, and nor should we. If we did, it would be scary. <laughs> well, a lot of times people ask me about a car, and I'll say, I don't know, but I can find out. Sure. Or I can, or I can refer you to someone who does. Right. Well, I tell the guys that all the time here. If you don't know the answer, don't just start rambling on with some made-up answer, because usually the guy's testing you. Most people that come here to buy a car from us know more about the car they're buying than we know about it. And I get that because they're, you know, they're experts. That's the one car they focused on. And how many different marks and brands do you have in here at a moment? Yeah, a lot. That's a good question. We should know that, right? I mean, gosh, I would imagine that we've got to have over a hundred marks and, uh, gosh. And, and how many specialists? 
Uh, six. So six guys <laughs> are supposed to know everything there is about a hundred marks. Can't yeah, happen. Yeah, and a thousand thirty-three cars. So you know, there's no way that they're going to know everything. And that's the problem in putting valuation on cars. I mean, you know, I always uh, uh, say that. You know, no two cars are alike when they're, you know, you can put two 2022 Toyota Camry side by side and they're basically the same car. Put a set, you can put every Chevelle on the planet side by side and I don't think you'll find one that's exactly the same. Yeah, because right? one wouldn't have a cigarette lighter. Right, exactly. <laughs> and they've outlawed cigarettes. So are they going to outlaw cigarette lighters too? <clears throat> Is the Bic lighter gone? I guess not for the potheads. No lighters in cars anymore. <laughs> Is there not lighters in cars? I guess no. there are. There there are the receptacles. Right. Uh, yeah. They don't even have uh, um, the 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 round ones anymore, do they? I don't think they do. The yeah. round, yeah. You just have. Uh, I don't know. I think absolutely. So anyway, looks like we've gone over time again. Imagine that. When we return, we'll continue our conversation with Jonathan Stein about all things automotive, and we'll try to stay on time if we can. We'll see you in a few minutes. Call J C Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. If you love classic cars, you're going to want to listen to The Classic Car Show with Tom Cox and Richard Lentinello on America's Web Radio. Live every Saturday at 9 a.m. Eastern at americaswebradio.com or on demand on your favorite podcast app. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the americasbroadcastnetwork.com. Thank you for listening. And we're back with the Classic Auto Mall podcast with Jr. pointing at me. Uh, you can knock on the wall. You can yeah, point. You can flip. Was, me well, I'm standing up, so it's hard to like <laughs> bend down and go through the window. You here. need one of those stand up desks, right? You know the right. ones that you that know, would be cool. Yeah, like, a, or just a couple of pallets to put at this table on, and then it'd be all right. Yeah, because we like to do things as cheaply as possible. Yeah, <laughs> no, not here. <laughs> if anything, I'm very impressed with what we have in this studio. In fact, if you're ever in the Classic Auto Mall, you come visit us. Right as you walk in the door to your left is the studio. Check can't, it out. Can't miss it. We're and, right and here. And if you'd like to see the control room, you can ask, and I'm sure someone would be happy to show it to I you as well. If I, you're a techno nerd, absolutely. We love all the technology. I. You know, and we want to do this right because half of it's just for fun, and and the other half of it is because we want to see if we can make something of it. But but it's it's an enjoyable part of the week for me, as I was just saying to our guest Jonathan Stein here with us, uh, automotive historian, Concord judge, uh, writer. So you get in with Fiat back in the day. What year was this? What year? Was that was nineteen eighty. But I did the key. The key was I didn't get in. I I did a writing test, and that never materialized because. Bill Baker right. was fired. Wow. Um, Nothing worse than the guy who hires you or is going to hire you getting fired. 
That really screws I things thought up. I was there. You know, I just short of the offer, and uh, poof. Just gone. You, you could have done like George Costanza, though, and just shown up for work and acted like you had the job. Remember, he got fired on Seinfeld one time on Friday, and Monday morning he comes back in, and he sits down, and they go, oh, what are you doing here? And he goes, I'm coming to work. And they go, we, we fired you. No, you didn't. Yes, we did. We did fire you, and you shouldn't be here. But he just stayed, and they're like, well, I guess he can just stay. So you should have done that. Well, then I could have had a long career at one of the least reliable cars in America. <laughs> yeah, but maybe you could have gotten to go and drive on that track on the roof of their building. I have been there. It is a, several times. It is amazing. Uh, do they? And they still use it. It's still no. It, no. They, they have bollards up so that you so that you can't. And one time the the door down got locked, so the whole group I was with had to walk down the spiral ramp. <laughs> That was kind of a, get you a little dizzy as you go down. Right? It was very Italian. Yeah, very Italian, yeah. Um, what a neat thing. If those of you don't know, there was a track on the roof of the Fiat factory in Turin. Turin. And uh, it was, they went up and test drove them. So they drove up these little circular ramps like you'd be at a, any parking garage today, right? Mm-hmm. You get up to the top and there's a banked oval track on top and they were just cars running all day long <laughs> and i would think that the drivers would really want a parachute yeah just in case although do you have time to open a parachute no. when you're only 20 stories high no. well, i don't know what the the ratio it, it's is not even it's only about five or six stories yeah so I mean, yeah yo you're you're done splat yeah oh unless you've got airbags and then maybe that would protect you if you hit face forward and i think by the time the airbags <laughs> came along the place was closed now yeah. it's now it's a shopping mall is it, it used really? to be a factory and they've all sorts of stores and shops. Well, at least they repurposed the building. Not unlike Classic Auto Mall here. We repurposed a mall into a Classic Auto Mall. Of course, it's funny. People, we tell people about what we do and they go, yeah, sure. You got, what, you got a few cars in there? What is it? Ten cars you got? A couple of rooms? No, the whole place is full. But people are skeptical these days, which you can't blame them, you know. Uh, back in the day when you were riding in the 80s, I mean, if people were skeptical, they had no way to prove you're right or wrong. Right. There was always someone out there who'd write, right. and sometimes they're right and sometimes they're wrong, and right. there's nothing like an article to bring out new information or corrected information right. from the public. Well, we always say if we don't know the size of an engine, we just put a picture of it in, in, in a wrong description on eBay, and within 30 minutes we've got 12 guys who told us that that's not a 305, it's a 302 or whatever the case may be. And, you know, God bless them because sometimes it's very helpful. Yeah, I, <laughs> not always. Someone tried to get me fired once because I had the ownership chain of uh, of a car a little bit off on the time, right. and so when such and such work was done, it wasn't for X; it was for Y. Right. And well, didn't you ever? Didn't you even talk to so and so? Well, yes, I did. Well, why didn't you get that answer? Because. He doesn't give anything away. You have to ask. And if you don't ask. And if you don't ask, <laughs> and we you. ended up being great friends. We right. got along great after that. Uh, he didn't get me fired. Well, and if you don't ask, sometimes guys aren't going to tell. There's a lot of guys who are very close to the vest. They'll answer anything you ask them, but you got to ask them. This guy was quite a, quite taciturn. and I don't know what that means, but it sounds like a big word. Yeah, he was... Uh, he was not a warm and fuzzy person. He gave nothing away. Gotcha. Yeah, I, 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 I think if I was like that, then maybe we wouldn't be doing this. No, you are the antithesis of taciturn. I think I. You're am. just about bubbly. I'm bubbly. I'm. Well, that's the that's Effer- the kindest thing. Effervescent. I, that's where I'm going next. <laughs> the kindest thing anybody said to me. I, I think I, you know, I'll just have to die and go to heaven now. I think and. Uh, 
Thank you for that. Your um, wife paid me. Yeah, yeah. I, I see. I, she shows up from time to time and puts little signs up in the window if something needs to be done, like uh, you know, talk nice to my husband or tell him to shut up or t- you know, whatever the case may be. She'll fill in the blank. I am very disappointed she's not out there now. I think it would be a lot of fun. Yeah, it's uh, it it can be fun, but it's mostly not fun. Maybe at your expense. <laughs> yes, it's always at my expense. So, so tell me. So you're in the '80s. You're writing. You're doing your thing. When did the Concord world? Kind of, I know Pebble Beach has been around for 60 years or whatever it is now, but, I mean, that was kind of the only one for a many, many, many years, right? Well, there are some smaller ones. Right. Uh, uh, in the uh, 90s, I got to go to Villa Este as a judge a few times. Wow. Uh, there was even a, a, a very a decent regional concourse in, in uh, Reading uh, in the very late 80s, mm-hmm. uh, the Burn Prevention Foundation. Foundation right. Concord, and that wasn't bad. It brought some good cars. Right. Well, there's, there's so many around here, and that's what we always talk about: is how many cars are in this part of the world. Well, uh, Radner does really well. They've been around for gosh, probably 15 years yeah. or, yeah, or more. I, I think longer. They've been, uh, and they put on a wonderful in a, in a very unique setting, which I think lends itself well to a Concord. I mean, mostly they're on golf courses. Um, and they're on golf courses because there's a lot of open space and room and for things to be spread out, and they're designed to handle crowds. Uh, Radner is kind of the same thing with kind of a horse, uh, if you will, horse theme. Uh, it's a, a hunt farm. club. It's a hunt club. That's what it is, you know, first and foremost. And you go there to see the beagles. Lots of the, be- the, the beagles. The beagles. <laughs> Not the beetles, for those of you who are keeping score at home. They have shorter hair. They do. <laughs> well, it depends on what era you're talking about with the beetles. But they just released a new Beatles song. They did. They did. I heard it on uh, The Bridge, which, you know, everybody looks at me like I'm 800 years old because I listen to The Bridge. So, I, you know, listen, I like I'm older I like. than you, and I don't know about The Bridge. <laughs> well, Steve, I. I asked him about the last waltz, and he had no idea what I was talking about. So, you know, <laughs> you don't either. <laughs> no, no, I, I, I've seen the video, and I've oh, listened to it a million times. All right, good. A million times he has. So there we go. Well, <laughs> hyperbole <you>. works. <laughs> I told you a thousand times not to exaggerate. <laughs> what was that? That was the old joke on it. That, uh, but anyway, uh, back to the hobby. So there's a few concours going on. You go Villa Est, you go to Reading. I know that Meadowbrook. Uh, Meadowbrook was around quite a few years. Um, Greenwich has been around for, for yeah, quite a long time. Yeah, been going while. there for a long time. Yeah, a long, long time. What a great setting that is. Right there on the water and, you know, just fantastic. I always think it's great to have million-dollar cars inches away from a drop into the water. <laughs> With a tiny little fire extinguisher protecting them from rolling down the hill. <laughs> That's I always, Where did that come from, where they put the fire extinguisher? Because you have to have a fire extinguisher. Well, and where are you going to put it? Uh, you know, there, I wasn't at Hilton Head, but there was a Packard that wasn't in gear, and someone must have touched it, right. and it went swimming. Well, didn't Ralph Morano's Packard? That's the one I'm referencing. Yeah, yeah. that went into the water, uh, either Hilton Head or... It was Hilton Head, was definitely. It? Yeah, and, uh, and of course, it kind of became, you know, I guess at the time it wasn't funny, but it's kind of become a, a, a not a joke, but people, even Ralph Morano kind of laughs about it now, you know, it's like ugh, crazy. And he, of course, re- re- had the car re-restored, if that's even a word. Yeah, sure. And uh, sure it is, because I say so. My show. Um, <laughs> and so, but he kind of, you know, but you're surprised it doesn't happen more often. 
I mean, it reminds me of that scene from Risky Business, right? Where, <laughs> where the 928 Porsche goes in the drink. Yeah, exactly. And the service manager calls him U boat commander. <laughs> yeah, a little goldfish swims out or something, you know. That 928, I tell you what, when that movie came out, if I didn't love 928s before that, I really loved them then. That just, that, that set the, the, the wheels a turning, so to speak. Well, you must really, if you've seen Harold and Maud, you've seen the, uh, wow. the V, the, uh, E-type hearse go right. off the cliff. <laughs> yeah, the Harold and Maud. That is, gosh, that's an obscure reference, but I like it. Well, it's got cars in it, it so we remember cars. it. Absolutely. Of course you do. We, we do a little segment about, uh, car movies and talk about them. And, you know, there's so many amazing car movies out there. And there are so many bad ones too, which are equally as fun to talk about. Oh, like the, uh, uh, the cross country. What are they? Uh, oh, yeah. Cannonball. Cannonball. Yeah. Cannonball. Those movies were <laughs> awful. They were awful. Except one little bit of trivia. Uh, the classic automobile trivia. My ex father in law was in Cannonball Run two, and no, Smoking the Bandit two and Cannonball Run one. I don't know what Mel Tillis. He was a country singer. Oh, and I was married to his daughter many many moons ago, and he was in Cannonball Run, and he was, um, <laughs> him and Terry Bradshaw were buddies, and so they were always paired together in the movie, and or any movies that they did, and he was friends with Burt Reynolds. So I think you know Burt was one of those guys that when Burt made a movie, all his buddies were in the movie. You know. You know how to operate a camera? Well, come on. You know, you, you know how to uh, boom mic? You'll be the boom mic guy. You'll be the lighting guy. You'll be the, you know, just brought all his friends and buddies along with him. What you gotta love. Nepotism is alive and well. <laughs> it is. And it has been and hopefully will continue to be. Uh, because that's how some of us got jobs over the years, you know, finding, knowing the right person at the right place at the right time. Well, when DeLorean was failing, a guy named Bruce McWilliams, a veteran of the industry, was brought in to try to save it. And he found so many friends and cronies had company cars, had expense accounts, right. and he started pulling the cars in. And then he's a little guy, right. but he's involved in the investigations after World War II in Europe. So he was tough. He had to get a bodyguard because he had so many death threat threats right. from people involved with DeLorean. Right, right. Because they weren't, they weren't losing their perks. Well, aren't perks part of the problem in a lot of things in society? We'll just leave it at that. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, we could get political awfully quickly. We could really quickly go down that rabbit hole. And you know me, I'm a rabbit hole kind of guy. So, um, so, um, in, back in the day, you went to work for Haggerty in 2004. Four. And that magazine wasn't even existent at no. that point in time, right? So what, what, what brought the idea to say, let's make a, let's create a magazine? Well, I was asked to write a proposal for a magazine. And, Though I'd been on several magazines by then, I'd never done one. So I called a friend at Campbell Ewald. Uh, I'd been his book editor. Uh, and he helped me write a proposal. Uh, then it went dark. Nothing. The next thing I know, uh, Campbell Ewald, uh, the agency, had been asked to be the custom publisher. My friend was assigned to it. And um, I was the main contact with that company. Right. So, you know. I wasn't the sole founder. I was involved in the founding of it, right. but I didn't do it alone. I mean, McKeel Haggerty was involved. A guy named Greg Strokes, who was my boss, was involved. Right. The uh, Jerry Burton at Campbell Ewald, who's the Corvette expert you've probably yeah. encountered. Absolutely. Uh, he was the one that uh, I worked with the most. And uh, gradually I took on the editorial duties and we left Campbell Ewald. Sure. And until uh, 2006, uh, 
for 10 years, I was, that was my life, and right. I loved it. And that's a difficult thing. That was a difficult thing to get started in that era. But when we return, uh, we'll delve a little deeper into that and talk a little more automotive and go down some more rabbit holes on the Classic Automall Podcast. We'll see you in a minute. It's a museum. It's a showroom. It's an experience. The Classic Auto Mall in Morgantown, Pennsylvania is 336,000 square feet of rare, custom, and specialty automobiles on display and on consignment. From the earliest production cars to modern exotics, Classic Auto Mall is a feast for the eyes and the memories. Stroll through time in any season in this climate-controlled facility that you simply have to see to believe. Admission is free. Just remember to bring comfortable shoes. Attention veterans with PTSD. If you can't sleep at night, listen to A Veteran's Place, hosted by Dr. Don Moeller, at 10 a.m., every Thursday, for your answer to sleeping, here on The Veteran's Station, owned by a vet, with shows just for vets. AmericasWebRadio.com Call J.C. Taylor today for a competitive quote on collector car insurance. Give your most prized possessions the attention that they deserve. You'll receive agreed value coverage, giving you the peace of mind to know you're always protected. J.C. Taylor has been supporting the hobby with reliable service that has lasted for six decades. Call 888-ANTIQUE or visit jctaylor.com slash awr to get a quote today. That's 888-268-4783 or visit jctaylor.com slash awr. Drive through time with peace of mind. J.C. Taylor. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening. We had things we were talking about, and I stopped because I thought we were going on right away, and then it was like 30 seconds later. We could have solved a couple of problems by then in that time. The Elvis conundrum. The conundrum of Elvis. The Elvi conundrum. So, wait a minute. Back up. You were telling me off the air. You had a Lakewood? <laughs> My parents, been, and we were on vacation in Michigan, and the old Plymouth died. Right. And they bought, while in Michigan, they bought a uh, white Lakewood station wagon, uh, with four-speed manual transmission. Oh, was your your dad a, a, a guy like? I mean, just a gearhead. Both or? my parents. Really? Uh, well, my mom said she was more interested than dad, but I think dad was really more interested. Right, right, right. That's uh, great. And but the funny way they bought it is this is before you could just access your bank electronically. Right. right. So my uh, my mom called her great her her aunt, my great aunt, and asked to borrow two thousand dollars. <laughs> With, but there was a proviso. Right. She had to pay it back in cash with two $1,000 bills. She had to drive all over New Jersey. <laughs> I remember tagging along to all try to, find, to <laughs> find banks that had these because right. they were usually just in the treasury. Do they exist anymore? I wonder. Do you see a thousand? I don't think I've ever seen a thousand dollar bill. I don't print one. Yeah. yeah. Well, you can now. How hard would that to be to do? You ever tried to copy a dollar bill on your copy machine? It won't do it. It will not yeah. copy. Yeah, I don't know. How do it know? It's like the the thermos. You put cold in in the morning at lunchtime, it's cold. Put hot in in the morning at lunchtime, it's hot. How do it know? <laughs> I mean, it's just the conundrum of, of the thermos. So anyway, sorry. I, was that a rabbit hole? Oh, <laughs> my gosh. <laughs> was it? We talking, also, it was a rabbit tunnel. <laughs> but he had another great comment that we talked about the new Elvis movie right. that comes out that has the uh, uh, Corvair where he's give It's a 60 Corvair that Elvis is giving Priscilla. But also uh, uh, Jonathan had a great comment on the many cars Elvis bought. Sure. Oh, sure. So Elvis... Bought liked cars, and he bought a lot of interesting cars for himself, including the Pantera he shot. Right. Um, but he also gave them very freely. 
So when you see a car in the market and it has an Elvis history, I, I think it's easier to sell but not worth more right. because you can't be sure. Whereas if it's Steve McQueen, it's you have no idea how high it'll go. Right, exactly. Or, I mean, uh, anything that is associated with Steve McQueen. They say celebrity provenance doesn't have any real bearing. A lot of guys, uh, skeptical guys in our world will say that. Yet the Steve McQueen thing, well, you just can't explain that one. You know, I mean, and that's that's part of it. Because, as you said, Elvis may have owned a car, but only in riding. Maybe he never even sat in the car, never drove it. So does that give it provenance that it was? Now, if it's a car that he drove every day and was in and, and used and there's pictures of him in it, I say that might be a little more valuable. Yeah, and it would drive the price. But I think even if he gave it as a gift, it might be slightly easier to sell right. because it's got an interesting story sure. that's they got a happy ending, right? As opposed to those interesting stories about cars <laughs> that, that might involve a flood, <laughs> yeah, or a or a fire, or a, you know whatever it is. So you know, I, if you look at at the car hobby in general, it were it's very you know there's things that are important and things that aren't important, and guys that'll tell you that. I don't care about celebrity provenance. The minute you get in the car with him, he goes, you know, this car was owned by Jane Leno. <laughs> it's like, well, I thought you didn't care about that. Well, yeah, but it's important to know. You, then you do care. <laughs> Years ago, I, uh, uh, after I left Automobile Quarterly, I moonlighted with one of the auction houses for years. Right. And someone called me up. They had a Fiat 128 that a soccer player in Colombia I'd never heard of had owned. And he wanted to sell for something like $25,000. And I wouldn't touch the car for anything because it was a used Fiat 128. Right. An, econ- uh, an economy car, fun to drive, hard to live with. Right. <laughs> fun to drive, hard to live with. That's our new slogan at Classic Fiat. Yeah. I love that, though. You know, absolutely. Well, and, and we get all the time people will bring us a car, and it'll be a police car used in uh, the background scene of a Hill Street Blues. Why even came up with that reference? I don't know. Um, and they'll go, is it worth any money? And it's just a dilapidated police car. And I go, no, it's not worth anything. It's worth whatever a dilapidated old police car is worth. But it's not worth any more because it was in the back shot of some movie or some television show 40 years ago. Doesn't mean anything. But I love that show. Yeah, it was a great show. Again, I don't even know where that came from. If you could if you could open my head and look at my brain, it might be really scary. There could be just worms running. Well, a brain sort of looks like fat worms anyway. <laughs> exactly. So I don't think that was too far off the mark. So why well, uh JR went dark in the uh, control room. Wonder what's going on in there. <laughs> He's taking pictures. Don't let the glare of the, the uh, glass get you. So um, so car hobby is exploded in the past 10 years. I mean, every event and every weekend, there's something going on. We were talking about the judging at Concour uh, events, and it's just like you, you just can't go a weekend without two or three events going on. It's hard to pick and choose. It's going to be really hard come spring when uh, uh, the Amelia – and RM's new show are going on a couple mm-hmm. hundred miles apart in Florida. Yeah, I, you know, there's a lot of posturing with that kind of thing. I get it. I understand. I think there's a lot of, you know, sour grapes or whatever you want to call it. And I don't know. I, I if if you know, if I if I was in that business, I think that I personally, and this is just my opinion, but I think I personally would not run the risk of trying to go head to head with somebody on purpose because if you fail, Man, that's a that's a real visible fail. I mean, the likelihood of failure is interesting. Which side is going to fail, or are they both going to be successful? I think they're both going to be weaker. Yeah. Uh, I think that had RM gone for the weekend before, then they could have stolen the thunder right. and gotten the better cars sure. 
Uh, because people spend a whole week. People say, no, we're going to go to Florida. Let's just spend a whole week there because we can do this on this weekend, and then the next weekend we can do that. So. Well, the judges were invited very early. They had to be because people wanted to stake their claim. Right. Uh, you know, I wasn't one of the guys that had, that was being pulled in both directions right. because I'm not really on RM's radar too much. Sure. But uh, we'll see. I mean, you know, time will tell, and we'll see what happens. And, of course, it's, uh, you know, it's it's funny these the way the businesses are these days, and, and things can change in a, in a heartbeat, you know. And you, you can go from being very successful to not successful in a matter of almost a blink of the eye. It's easy to fade away. Mm-hmm. Um, one thing this season that I got to do for a change is I actually got to go to a British sports car for me. Right. Uh, you mean something been, you really wanted to do? Yeah, and, you know, I was going to one, and I came back from Pebble Beach, and like all my friends, I had COVID uh, right. again. <laughs> so I didn't get to go to this great show in uh, Lancaster County, not right. far from here. Right. And... Uh, then there was another one I couldn't go to for some reason, oh, rain. And then finally, this one, just a small show, northern New Jersey, beautiful back roads. And, you know, I don't get to go to shows for me very often. Right, right. Well, and when you go to Pebble or Amelia and you're judging, you're so laser focused on what you're doing, it's probably hard to appreciate everything else that's going on around you, the well, pomp and circumstance. Well, by the time you're done judging at a Pebble Beach, the place is mobbed, and you have to fight. You're like a salmon swimming upstream to get to look at cars. So it's rare that I get to see them all, uh, and I'm usually extremely tired, just knackered at the end of one of those uh, days because it, the judging is so intense. It's right. the most intense I've ever been on. Because you want to get it right, and you really want to get it right there because you get it wrong, and I imagine the invitation doesn't – the hand-engraved uh, gold <laughs> lame letter invitation does not show up the next year. Well, I mean, I don't know whether I'm going to be invited for From Pebble year Beach year. this year. Yeah. Uh, I'd like to be. It's on the few occasions – Are you listening, folks? He'd like to be there again. <laughs> How many years have you been to Pebble Beach? That's questionable. We've <laughs> lost count. I'm trying to get them to straight out. It's well over 20 years, probably wow. over 25. Wow. How great is that? Uh, and it's great. But I'm getting to do something next year that I haven't done in years. I'll be judging in Europe at Lugano in Switzerland. Oh, I and I've, yeah. I've not been to that one, but uh, one of the more prestigious European judges asked me and I was smart to say yes yeah, and then convince my wife that I could spend the money. <laughs> yes. People don't realize that concord judging is not a high-paying profession. <laughs> no. At, at some of them, you get your your room uh, covered. Right. But getting there is on your own uh, in most cases. I've never, you know, if you're a chief class, if you're a chief judge overall, then that's a different story. Sure. Sure. I get that. And that makes sense. And a lot of guys, because I imagine there's a lot of guys who raise their hand and say, I, I'll, I'll do it. You know, if he won't do it, I'll do it. You know, well, it, but it's very hard to get started. Well, and yeah, absolutely. particularly the young ones. We have more young judges out there now this year than we have in years, mm. including a full judge at most of the major shows at 17. Really? Yeah. That's fantastic. Uh, several of us met him by accident when he was about 12 or 14. Right. And uh, I hit it off with his mom, and another prestigious judge uh, got to know him, and 
between us, he it's opened a lot of doors. Well, and and you just know when you meet somebody, especially when they're young and they really know what they're talking about. It it stands out very quickly, right? Well, plus you know there are more women than ever before. Uh, there aren't nearly enough in the beginning. They tend to come out of the uh, particularly Meadowbrook, the car makers, uh, design departments, but interior because for mm-hmm. so many years women were relegated to just doing interior design because, of course, they have the color sense, the, right. the ridiculous stereotype. Sure, sure, because men can't have color sense. I mean, you know. <laughs> you know, and exactly. I mean, come on. I mean, that's look at Steve. He's so fashionable over there. The red and the purple and the, you know, it's just uh, amazing, his sense of style and color. And <laughs> I just give Steve grief just because I can't. Well, the zipper is very stylish. <laughs> At home, I live in vests like that. I really do. <laughs> well, because what's more comfortable? And I don't want to be cold anymore. That's my whole motto in life is is do not be cold. Mm-hmm. Do, get heated seats, I'm going to turn them on. I don't care if it's 90 degrees outside. I'll figure out a way to make it work. It'll we'll turn the air on, and it'll compensate. My new car has a heated steering wheel. Nice. I've never had one before. <laughs> it's like, whoa. What? I didn't even realize it. I'm going to say something that's going to trump everything that you just said. My new car has a heated Center console rest and an armrest. You're kidding. <laughs> no, I'm not. I don't kid about things like that. There's you know, in the one, in the one upmanship game, you win. <laughs> I give up. Uncle. <laughs> Darn it. I was hoping you had like one that had a heated headliner or something <laughs> that radiated heat down. Well, I came down here in a uh, old car that has uh, the, some of the heater vents aren't even connected at the moment. Um, nice. I'm not. I'm afraid that if I turn the fan on, things may happen. <laughs> things could come flying out. Or? Well, no, uh, <laughs> Lucas. Uh, yeah. So, what did you drive down here today? Uh, an MGB GT V8, and this nice. is one of the factory cars. This is not a home built. Nice, nice, nice. You know, a lot of car guys I talk to, and like, what'd you drive today? Well, the Subaru Outback or the minivan or you know something that's not car related, and we understand that because there is life. And you have to go to the store and get your hair cut and things like that. And and uh, you, you usually try to take a practical car. Sounds like you're the opposite, though. You know? Well, if I'm going to a, a high-traffic shopping place, I'm, I'm not going to take one of the old cars. Sure. Because uh, bo- both of my MGs are in pretty nice shape. Mm-hmm. Uh, but from time to time, I have parked them. But I park way in way in the hinterlands, right. and I take up only one space. Yeah, because if you take up two, somebody's going to park right next to you and bang you with their door just to spite you. Exactly. <laughs> uh, plus, I don't want to be a, a jerk. Right, and take two space because we might need one. Don't forget to uh, catch us on all the podcast sites, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Podcast Index, Amazon Music, iHeartRadio, TuneIn Plus Alexa, or and Alexa, I don't know, uh, Podcast Addict, Podchaser, Podcast, Pocket Cast, Deezer, Listen Notes, Google Assistant, Player FM. Goodness, we're everywhere, but here we are. Also, Jonathan, it's certainly been a pleasure. Well, thank we enjoyed you. having you on. There's about a million more things we could talk about, so we'll have to do it again. I'd love to. And we can go down many, many rabbit holes and uh, all that good stuff. And uh, and catch us next week. We'll be doing something here about this same time, and uh, we'll see you next time on the Classic Automall Podcast. You 
You've been listening to the Classic Auto Mall Podcast with your host, Stuart Howden, executive producer, Steve Safir, produced and engineered by yours truly, J.R. Russ. Thanks for listening and sharing the Classic Auto Mall Podcast, available on ClassicAutoMall.com, YouTube, or wherever you get your podcasts. Music, courtesy of the Pat Travers Band, produced by CarSmarts Media, copyright 2023, all rights reserved. You're listening to America's Web Radio on the AmericasBroadcastNetwork.com. Thank you for listening.